Hello, and welcome to another episode of Avatar The Last Korra. Brought to you by Flameo Instant Noodles, the noodliest noodles in the United Republic. I'm yeah. David, doing a silly voice. <laughs> and I'm Hannah, and I'm not doing a silly voice, but oh boy, done, is Korra a silly, silly voice. a silly show. I, I think the though. silly voice guy, he, um, he, he really steals the show in these episodes. He's the announcer for the, uh, <laughs> the, the pro-bending and he's <laughs> also the guy and who also does all the recaps. Yep, yep, does all the recaps for Korra. Um, we're going to switch it up a little bit this week, guys, and we're going to start um, by talking about Korra, and then we'll move into Avatar, because this week we've got a big three-parter on that side of the pond, or it's a two-parter, but we're going to talk about three episodes. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you gotta you gotta do some fiddling to make these episodes line up right. So all the two parters, we're gonna talk about them all at once. All at once is great. Um, so today we're talking about episodes five and six from Korra, which is uh, the spirit, the spirit of, competition. of competition, and and the winner is dot, and dot, and dot. the winner is yes yes. Exactly. Thanks, Cora, for making your episode titles difficult to say. <laughs> Doing a podcast. You really fucked us over on this one. <laughs> um, um, so we're we're in it. We're in it, Hannah. We're in the shipping of it all. I know. Like, like literally, we're... my first note for the spirit of competition is fucking love triangle bullshit. <laughs> It's a it's a literal like visual love triangle where they're all in like a huddle and it mm-hmm. goes around the three points of the triangle mm-hmm. and they're each making different faces at each other and mm-hmm. it's so like in your face like directly into camera. Yeah. Uh, if you don't like love triangles as like a rule, this is like torture. It's um, such torture. And like it's just so hard to pull off an interesting love triangle at this point. And like, I Korra's... typically like love triangles. I think they do Ugh. function decently in, in most media. I mean, I think it's they just... have a function. It's just, we all know how they're going to end and it's never fun. Like the journey's not well, fun for me. I mean, you didn't me. know how this one ends. Oh my this God. This one went somewhere that you didn't know where yeah, it was going to go. And that made it great eventually, but... <laughs> I don't think it ever made it great. All right, not great. Poorly, just a poorly executed love triangle because our protagonist is so unlikable. (laughs) (laughs) Two of them are. You have to be rooting for your protagonist and the love interest to get together in some capacity in order for a love triangle to work, don't you? Here's the thing: I don't find Cora totally unlikable, but I do. In this episode, I do. I mean, in this episode, a little bit, but like in general, I don't find Cora like inherently unlikable. I do no. find Mako yeah, and Bolin very unlikable. Oh, Bolin? What did Bolin do wrong? He didn't He's, do shit wrong. But He's he doesn't do shit he doesn't do shit right. He's like a lobotomized freak. Like, I don't know. He's I not just, lobotomized. He's he, he's an innocent. He's a he's an sh- he's a <laughs> So starting with this this is um sorry, we watched a lot of these. Uh is this the one where Bolin catches them kissing? Yeah, but I mean, not initially. The episode yeah. begins with the narrator going, "The feelings seem to be somewhat mutual between Mako and Korra until Asami came into the picture." And then, like the whole episode, Asami like just keeps showing up once every like ten minutes to kiss Mako on the yeah. cheek. Yeah. 
Like, she does literally nothing else but be like, I love you, sweetie. <laughs> It's super like, weird. She's just a non-character in this um, in this episode. But but also, so this this entire episode, of course, coming off of the really emotionally traumatic last episode, um, where we have fucking Korra having a nervous breakdown after an encounter with Amon and like sobbing right. to Tenzin. And this week it's all about pro bending and smooches. <laughs> right. There is some it's tonal just... whiplash. There's some pacing issues That's... there. Um, I, I, but, like, really more than anything, I just think, like, this episode as a self-contained sort of standalone is sort of the only, like, standalone-ish episode in the season. And so I have to give it props for that, at least. Like, the A I plot would... and the B plot intersect and, you know, make sense together. The pro-bending tournament with the shipping part so i have yeah. to give her props at least for that but it also somehow feels like the corniest episode of the whole oh, season it's very much the corniest episode um but I, I i don't know i would also say the second episode of of cora is kind of self-contained as well you know like and, and again it's like an a b plot that involves like pro bending and learning how yeah, to be controlled but I mean, like like the second episode was good and I, I gave that one props as well, but it wasn't really standalone. It was all about advancing the plot and introducing new characters and stuff. This I, one I guess. is a standalone, like, you know, it, it, a standalone episodic in the same way that like Avatar, the last airbender would have episodics. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll talk about some of them today. Um, yeah. But, uh, man, I don't know. There's something appealing about Bolin, at least in this I episode. I don't get it. I know Where, he's got a know, lot of fans. I just don't get it. Well, okay. I mean, this is before he just evolves into pure comic relief, and he's still an actual character with wants and likes and dislikes. Okay, but and, here's you know, my... He... I, I, I would sort of agree, but I don't think the show wants us to ever take that seriously. Because his pain at sort of, like, being the losing end of this love triangle is entirely played for laughs within the framework of the show. And so that, to me, says we should discount him. Yeah, I mean, that's stupid. But, I mean, I wouldn't put that on But I, I think that's the show saying, like, we should not care about this person because he's a goofball. His, his pain is goofy. He's here for you to laugh at, not care yeah. about. And, like, I don't want a character who I'm just there Yeah, I don't like at. that either, like, but I think in me. this episode, I do kind of feel for him. I like the I like the fact that Bolin, you know, he's he's just sort of love-struck by Korra, um, you know, just by her skills and her aptitude. Um, you know, he doesn't really, like, pick up on the fact that her personality is utter trash in this episode. <laughs> um and that that she's just legitimately just using him as like you know somebody to make her feel better about herself. Yeah. Um, but you know he's like you know paying her compliments, taking her to the places that he likes, you know sharing the food that he likes with him, and you know being like wow that was awesome when he uh, when she you know sicks her bear dog on an unsuspecting jerk. Can we talk about Tano? Yeah, yeah, we can Tano's talk about Tano's my favorite Tano. character in the whole show. I He's love so him. good. He feels like kind of classic Avatar to me a little bit. Just like yes. so overdramatic. Yes. 
I feel I keep forgetting that he doesn't have a southern accent. Like, I keep <laughs> thinking he should be going, where, where, where? Look at here. What kind of avatar do we have over here? Or a British accent, like something like just totally overblown. I, you know? I keep thinking that he has a southern accent. Okay. <laughs> I, I have no idea why. But like then I like listen to him and he's oh, he doesn't have an accent. Why did I think I thought it's he was <laughs> Just because he looks so... You better try your luck, Avatar, or you're gonna get squashed, see? He's just like Draco Malfoy, you know? like He's He's very Draco. He's just a caricature of, like, an evil bully who, like, is slimy and rich, you know? (laughs) He's Yeah, and he's rich, and he's the champion, and he's trying to... He's trying to bait you, Korra. If you hit him, you're out of the tournament. And then he goes... (laughs) <laughs> she, she like sticks a dog on him and he's like oh my god <laughs> you win this round but let's uh, see how you fare on the pro bending field avatar rare um i love that um <laughs> but like uh i guess we should talk about like bolin asks cora on a date and it's not the most awkward thing in the world when he does it no, but the it's most not. awkward thing in the world is where Cora asks Mako on a date. Yeah, awful. no, that was super weird. Um, also, just like terrible advice from uh, Airbending Mom to Pema. be like, yeah, Pema, sure. Because uh, like Cora is asking the two little Airbender girls for love advice because I guess they're experts. Um, and I do like both of their responses. I was entertained by that. Um, <laughs> but then fucking Airbend Mom Pema comes around and is like, you should just steal him. Fuck that just other confess. <laughs> confess. Just your confess your feelings. Just do it's it. It's like an anime. It's just terrible, terrible advice. Um, and also just a bad message in general. Like, Well, the message, I guess, becomes like, well, that didn't work at all. I mean, I guess, but it, like, still says, well, it didn't work for Korra, but I found a happy marriage out of it. Like, I don't know. (laughs) Also that human beings are, like, things that you can steal from one another. Like, it's just weird. I'm not a fan. I don't think she used the word steal. She literally did. And Korra uses it later when she discovers that it's uh, Chief Beifong that Pema stole Tenzin from. Yeah, that um, doesn't go anywhere. Anyway, no, it doesn't. <laughs> so then, so, the Cora and Bolin go on a date, and it's like a um, like a '90s sort of cliche rom com date where they go and they eat food, and then they have a burp off where they compete with how loud they can burp, and it's which funny because girl burp. I did like uh, the people's reactions. To the two of them having Yeah, but that's part of the 90s joke. Like, I mean, I think that was in Shrek. Like, I can't remember. Probably. I don't know. I still like it. Um, And then they go to the Eiffel Tower, which I guess they have because this is cliche city. um, Where everything's cliche. Yeah. I don't know. We're talking about love, Hannah. We're talking about real love. love. True love. Um... Yeah, so Bolin makes her feel better, and I guess that's nice, but, like, she's basically yeah, well, just I mean, using like him. Bolin legitimately is, like, 
the nice guy trope. I mean, he this is, legitimately uh, likes her and yeah. compliments her and is super nice to her, and she mm-hmm. doesn't give a shit no, about him. She for doesn't at all. Basically, no reason. I mean, the two, like, Bolin and Mako, I, like, they're not identical, but, like. They're basically. They're brothers, like, so it's not a physical attractiveness thing. No, they're both physically attractive. They're just... For, you know, for cartoon teenagers. Yes. Um, but, like, <laughs> the, you know, the point being, like, she just has decided that she doesn't like him because he's, I guess, because he's, like, not to be taken seriously. Uh-huh. Um, and that's why I kind of feel for Bolin in this case, because he does everything right. He doesn't pressure her into going on a date with him. He just no. asks her... Like, outright, like, hey, you know, why don't we go on a date? It could be fun. We have similar interests. This uh, makes sense. You know, we, we have a lot of respect for each other. Our friendship works. So why not see if it would work as a relationship? Mm-hmm. And she's like, yeah, you know what? That's actually a good idea because you make me feel good about myself by showering me with compliments. But he doesn't see the underlying thing, which is that what Cora actually wants is to like, have to earn compliments from the shady... Bad boy. <laughs> bad boy who doesn't ever dick. get compliments. And who yeah. just yells at her and says, like, You're so frustrating! There's sexual tension. There, yes, there is sexual... I, I, It's not sexual tension. There's just tension, and he's making it sexual. No, it's it's sexual tension. What's the What makes it non-sexual detention? I mean, I just don't think that the ten. I mean, I guess it's sexual tension. I don't know. It's sexual it's just, tension. Uh, it's just, I hate it. Um, I will say. No, it's fine to hate it. Yeah, like I think, like to put this in terms of uh, NBC's Community, which is a you know a way that I often formulate things. Cora is sort of like the. Cora is sort of like the Britta because she hates herself. And Mako is sort of like the Jeff because he's always getting the ladies, but he is emotionally stunted. And also hates and himself. And Bolin is like the Troy, you know? He doesn't really get the girl, and if he does, he doesn't keep no. her for very long. Bolin's like the Dean. he's just an ingenue. What? The Dean. Bolin's like the Dean. He's not, He's not like, like the Troy. Dean. Come on. He's pure comic relief who sometimes gets some emotional moments. Like, that's Bolin. No, Bolin is, is an innocent. The whole point is that he that's just what... doesn't understand the world. Okay. You know, that's that's Troy. He's like Troy Barnes. He's out here. He thinks he thinks all cats are girls and all dogs are boys. That's what uh, Bolin yeah, thinks. Yeah, but Troy's a million times better than fucking Bolin. Well, because the jokes are better, but like I guess I don't know. The jokes just... are often, most often, still at Troy's expense for him being you know, stupid. Not stupid, but just innocent. Okay, naive. Naive. Um, I did like some jokes in this uh, in this episode. There's yeah, a, there's the scene where they they just like Cora and Mako just finish yelling at each other, and uh, they're like walking into the arena, and mm-hmm. there's just this fan going like, "Hey Mako, okay." <laughs> yes, that was that was a pretty good moment. Um, yeah, we we sort of talked about Asami in this episode already, 
But um, she just she just enters and then leaves. She has she yeah. plays, plays no important role no in this role, love triangle no, whatsoever. No character development. Also, every scene she just literally is like clinging to Mako. Also, back in the beginning of the episode, I wrote down this quote because Cora makes like a barfy face, and I was like, ugh, me too. She literally yeah. walks in to their training, goes, "Good morning, sweetie." Uh, or <laughs> he, oh, that's what it is. She walks in, and she's like, hey, guys, what's up? I brought some snacks. And fucking Mako goes, good morning, sweetie. And she goes, you look great, champ. Like, what? Champ? I've never called a significant other champ. Like, what oh, I, I call my I call all of my significant others champ. <laughs> yeah? Yeah. How's it going, champ? You look great, like, champ. How how you liking those fries, champ? (laughs) Good fries? Truly the most endearing uh, word of affection. See you tomorrow, champ. Oh, my God. We'll go play some baseball. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I should mention all of my significant others are also uh, my sons. Um, oh yeah, Mako at one point says of, uh, of Korra in relation to Bolin, you've got him all in a tizzy. Okay, this is the other thing that I hated about the <laughs> fucking episode. First of all, terrible, terrible, terrible bad line. Um, second of all... You've got him all in a tizzy? Like, Mako takes on 0% of the blame in this episode, but, like, I would say at least 50% of it is definitely his, you know? Like, um, like Cora's in the middle, quote unquote, of this love triangle. But like, Mako, you're the one who's like being giving mixed signals to Cora while dating another woman, and you're like, Cora, you're so bad for putting my brother in a tizzy. And it's like, yeah, she's not in the right, but also like he has his own feelings independent, like of her. Like, I think he's just... pretty honest with his feelings, which. I feel like he should get some credit for as a character, not as, like, you know, as a, as a person, not as a character that's being sure. written by a bunch of dudes who, who are just writing this, like, Terrible sexual maniac that is Korra of the Water <laughs> okay. Tribe. Um, sexual maniac? <laughs> what? Yes. She's she's a, she's just a, a monster who plays with people's emotions for her own personal gain. It's not sexual, though. Alright, she's an emotional monster. Yeah, sure. I'll take emotional um, maniac. So, yeah, I mean, literally, she asks, uh, Ma- she tells Mago that she believes that they should be together, apropos of nothing. Yeah, apropos literally Apropos of nothing. they just won a sports match together. Yeah. Uh, and then, literally, two minutes later, in front of the guy that she actually is interested in, she is like, yeah, let's go on that date, Bolin. Yeah, it's just, like, very That leads him strange. on for an entire really long date without telling him, you know, uh, let's just stay friends. And then she goes and, like, pouts waiting for Mako, Mako. to show up on her balcony. Yep. And then he's like, Cora, I gotta be serious with you. And she's like, I know, you don't like me. And he's like, I do like you. <laughs> but I can't be with you right now because I'm just too busy banging Asami on the side. Yeah, it's it's super weird, and they're all bad. 
but I feel like everyone just kind of, specifically Mako, just like Mako's utter insistence that like, Cora, this is all your fault. I just puts a bad taste in my mouth. Yep. It's just like Mako and Cora have zero chemistry in None. any way, shape, or form. Um, so it's hard to sympathize like, with Cora or Mako. Totally. As a result. Um, yeah, there's they both no... keep just ruining their relationships with their brothers and friends. Right. Like, there's no chemistry between them. They're just, like, acting like weird, selfish, bizarre people. And But there's also no chemistry between, like, anyone on this show. Like... Ma- or not Mako and Cora, um, Bolin and Cora, like, they got along, but I wouldn't call it chemistry, you know? I don't know. Like, well, we didn't even really talk about, like, throughout this whole episode, there's a bunch of, uh, you know, pro-bending matches. I guess mm-hmm. it just kind of, because it's literally just an extension of the love triangle, so it doesn't even really feel like it's happening. Mm-hmm. They don't do enough to, like, make it its own plot. No, so they it's just... just kind of... They just progress through, uh, <laughs> yeah, through the competition. Yeah, they do really well in, like, the first round because they're all in sync, and then they go on some dates and get angry at each other, and then they're out of sync. And, and then, then Cora has to sync. kick some ass in the last one and be like, by the way, guys, I'm sorry for making things weird. And Mako is like, yeah, you did make things weird, but I guess we're fine now. The Bolin's feelings aren't hurt anymore. Hooray! And then yeah, Bolin never expresses that his feelings were hurt ever in the future, which yeah. is interesting. It's really um, bad. So that brings us to episode six, and the winner they got is... the finals. They got, they into, got the into the finals. finals. Um, and hey, remember that evil bending-stealing guy? Um, he's back for this episode, <laughs> unlike last one. He can't be in every episode. But, like, maybe he should be if there's only ten episodes to tell your story. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I thought it was interesting that both of these episodes start the exact same way. With, like, they're in the gym, Mm -hmm. and then somebody comes in with a problem. (laughs) Yeah. I think that's interesting to note, because Avatar episodes basically never start the same. Well, that's not true. No, that's not true. A lot of them start with, they're in the air. Packing up camp. They're packing up camp, or the, usually it starts with them on a bison, and they're yeah. like, look down there. I guess it's just more land. interesting because the bison is always someplace different, or the camp is always someplace different, versus like, here's our room where we hang out, you know? Yeah, and it's just like, you know, it's a breathing moment, but it's mm-hmm. not always the same. Uh, I don't know. Maybe it's the same. But like, <laughs> having the, 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 the gym as the home base... That's, yeah. that's sort of established, you well, know, in, in a neutral way. I, I don't know if it's bad or good. Yeah. So. Uh, I like the don't let the terrorists win narrative of this yeah. episode. Also, don't steal our sports. Not our sports. <laughs> Listen, if we cancel sports because we've just had a bomb threat, <laughs> then the terrorists win. Win. We just have to be really good at finding bombs. Yeah. Like, this s- is... you're dumb. I think this... You're stupid. This is the big episode where I realized the problem that Korra sort of has to work against versus Avatar. um, Where, like, a lot of these sort of fantasy, uh, sci-fi, like, adventure storylines, they take place 
where the main characters are the underdogs in some way. You know, they're the rebellion. Um, like, you know, it's Star Wars. It's in, in the new She-Ra. They're the rebellion versus the Horde. And, like, it's it's an avatar the original one they're literally fighting a giant oppressive like conquering force you know right um but in Korra they're the man you know like they are the state and like they're not I, the I don't rebellion think that, that necessarily ruins the story it just I don't think it know, ruins the it. Story, but it I mean, for example, it. like in every Avengers narrative, they're they're never fighting an oppressive regime. They're always fighting some, you know, and any Marvel movie is about fighting some like radical, crazy guy. That's true. But so, like, I, mean, I don't think that ruins narrative structure no, at all. I, I think it just, you know, it, it it makes it somewhat fraught when you start talking about these ideologies. Oh yeah, I mean, I I agree totally. But I think it, I just don't think the these writers were prepared to actually do the leap to, we're not the underdog fighters anymore. You know, like, I just don't, I think Well, they're leaning on a lot problem. of cliche is the yeah. problem. And it's, I mean, they leaned on a lot of cliche as well when we were talking about, you know, fighting a big empire and it was Star Wars. Like, that was all cliche. But where it sort of was original was in, you know, the individual plights of the villages and the different, you know, things. You know, we're going to be talking about Imprisoned, uh, was, is the episode of Avatar The Last Airbender. Mm-hmm. And it's just sort of like, you know, you just experience the, the small troubles of this little town. Whereas for this one, you're basically in government, and so all the troubles are like, there's a there's a terrorist threat. <laughs> We gotta right. we gotta put down that terrorist threat because it's bad, and then it and then it turns out that like wait maybe being really oppressive terrorist makes makes you the bad guy. Yeah. Whoa. Mind blowing. yourself. I don't know. It's a little fraught. Um, All right, but I I don't know. It's just it's harder to like deal with and defend and affect change within a broken system than just like overthrow an evil one, you know? And like that's what the Avatar writers were doing before and it's a little bit different to what they're doing now um meanwhile this is where we find out that uh chief beifong was the girl that tenzin used to date and it's like cool glad teen romance is still affecting 40 year olds (sighs) yeah it doesn't really like it doesn't work on multiple levels because they keep trying to imply that her actions are the result of like this, you know, lover scorned mm-hmm. thing. But all of her actions are completely rational for whatever's going on anyway. Right. So it both doesn't affect anything and apparently affects everything in her life. Like Which is insane to think about and totally undercuts like her character as a person. Um, yeah, it's like if every time, you know, Dumbledore did something, they were just like, well, you're just upset because your your lover Grindelwald turned evil. Right. <laughs> right. 
I don't know. And, and like, again, like everything is the girl's fault. Like in, in the last episode, like Cora's rash decision-making was the reason that the three of them weren't getting along. And it's all her fault for leading on Bolin, not to mention the weird way Mako's acting towards her. And in this one, Lin is like, Oh, I'm sorry. I'll try to be nicer to fucking Tenzin. But it's like, Bitch, you were fine. You're just a badass. Like, yeah, you're a little rude, but like, you were, you're, you're fine. Like, oh, you're I, so I abrasive. Even, I don't I even don't know, know if he was rude to, if she was rude to Tendon. Like, yeah, I, I didn't pick up on like anything with that. It just seemed like she's very, you know, uh, officious and you know, authoritative, and mm-hmm. she likes her power and she likes justice. And it's right. Like, I don't find her interesting as a character at all, nor do I, you know, really care about her succeeding in anything that she's trying to do. Uh, but hey, you know, her her emotional struggles aren't that interesting either. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, There's cosplayers at the sports ball game. Are there? Yeah, I so the, the main plot of the episode begins when we're entering the final match against the Wolf Bats, led by Tano, oh, the Draco. Oh, yes, that's right, yeah. And then in the audience, there's, like, Korra cosplayers. Love that. Um, also, this is, I, I was trying to decipher my own notes, um, and I was like, Pabu's great. And I was like, wait, was he great? What did he do? Um, he does some cute little tricks as sort of like the the intro for the fire ferrets. Um, yeah, it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't stand a chance against Tano's amazing performance where he comes out dressed up as a wolf bat <laughs> and then clips off his cape and uh-huh. flips it into the air. And there's fireworks going on. There's like a light show. They're amazing, but we have to we have to dislike them. So I guess make them cheaters. It's so yeah. fucking cliche. Like, come on. Why can't they just be the best? And they're just, the reason that we don't like them is just because well, they, they, they know they're the best and they brag about it. They have to be cheaters because Amon has to have someone who's, like, actually kind of bad again to show up and, like, fuck off, fuck around with, you know? No, why can't they just be like, we're the, we the winners, we're the strongest benders, and then they lose their bending. And it's, you know, it's tragic in and of itself. Right, because then why, it's why does tragic. Why that to be they're bad um, people? Well, it's the whole reason that Amon did the, um, whatchamacallit? Gang leaders. The, the gang leaders is because he's, it's a PR campaign, too. It's like, uh, look, you think benders are good? They're all thieves and liars and cheaters and like any even the good ones would be this too if they had half a chance you know yeah but i mean he he seems to just be like a fire ferret fan i mean i could be wrong but that was how (laughs) i interpreted that scene aman is like clearly bending is a sin if the fire ferrets could lose oh my god chubs I love the fire ferrets. <laughs> Go fire ferrets. I feel like he's yeah. just a fan. Um, maybe. It's possible. One, from from the match, um, Cora does a great final knockout of everybody, and it's it's good. It's well animated. I liked it. I felt invested, and that's asking a lot of me for pro-bending. I'm generally not that invested. Um, but the uh, announcer guys goes... 
they're not just bending the elements, they're bending my mind. And that was a And then he says, a I'm good one. peeing myself. Does he? That's later. Oh, he does. Or, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, once Amon shows up, he's, the narrator sort of uh, announces his own demise over the great, like, over the speaker, which, um, I don't know. I always like that kind of trope. I don't think he dies. Well, he doesn't die, but... I think he comes back in later episodes. He just gets taken out. Like, they zap him or whatever, you they know? They zap him. Oh, yeah, this is, like, the... In Spirit of Competition, they talk about zapping, right? Was that, that the first zaps? Uh, I guess? Yeah, I think that was the first zapping, because before that, it's like, you know... Um, all the chi blockers are actual chi blockers, and then after this, every chi blocker is just somebody with an electric glove that electrocutes people, yeah. which is extremely lame. Um, and I was really disappointed about that uh, on first watch. Yeah. Now yeah. I think it's pretty minor. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kind of whatever. Um, but I, I just like visually, like actually being a chi blocker and being able to do that martial art is so much more visually interesting than just a guy with a glove and when he touches you, you get a zap. Yeah. Um, so Amon fucks up the pro bending ring and blows a bunch of it up, uh, makes some big speeches. Um, and then Korra tries to chase him, but it doesn't go great. But it, she and Lynn kind of make up. This is the piece of, like, the first half of the season, basically. Yeah. This is, like, the biggest thing that happens. And, and like, the most direct confrontation between Korra and Amon. There's some really like, cool fight the scenes. the first half of the series. Yeah, there's some really great, like, animation sequences where Korra and Lynn are fighting together against Amon and the um, other equalist mooks. And, like... It's pretty cool. But it still like just I was feels entertained. Super anticlimactic. I never feel oh, yeah. like Korra is in real danger. I never feel like any of this stuff matters. Like yeah, but nobody can... even lives. Like you know, a couple people like lose their bending. But like I don't really feel like anyone's even at threat of death. Right. You know. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. There's a lot of implied death in Avatar, and a lot less of it in Korra. It's just all yeah, bending, I just think, stealing. Like, it just it just doesn't really like convey a, a good sense of drama in this big climactic scene they've just lost the championship and then also were attacked and like suffered great defeat at hands of the villain and mm-hmm. it doesn't feel like the end of like you know the end of book two in avatar the last airbender right. it feels like you know i don't know it just feels like they lost a fight mm-hmm. and then they'll just get back up the next episode and do you know quirky slapstick <laughs> right like, it doesn't feel like um, when they're, like, trapped in the desert, even, in season two, you know, where it's like they've hit this huge low point, you know? Um, right. But, no. Nah. Yeah, I would agree with that. It was pretty, right. though. And we get some exposition visions, um, which will be relevant later. That's true. Exposition visions are great. All right. But we get a lot of exposition, too, in the um, Avatar The Last Airbender side of things. Yeah. Um, not in the first episode, though. In the first episode, it's all about Katara. It's a Katara episode. <laughs> yes. Um, but I love this episode because I feel like it's super character-defining. And, like, I don't think it's... Oh, yeah. It's, it's not that, like, all of a sudden she has these traits. It's just, it's, like, solidifying the type of person she is. Well, we're still really introducing these characters. And sure. I think this episode introduces, you know, 
the sort of role that that Katara plays on the on the team, which wasn't totally clear in you know the an episode like the Warriors of Kyoshi or King of Omashu, where she right. basically does nothing. Right. Um. So it's great to sort of see her here. Um, we also start to really see, like, the human cost of the war in this one, too. Absolutely. I mean, this, to me, is, like, the most thematically interesting episode so far in Avatar The Last Airbender. Oh, yeah, um, definitely. It's all it's about... it's one of the best looks that we get at, like, what the war does and what is war and what does it do to people psychologically. Totally. Um, so we open with the gang in the woods, um, and... <laughs> Then, Some jokes at Sokka's expense, as usual. As and then, usual. And then we find an Earthbender. Character. How exciting. New guy. And Katara's like, hey, Mr. Earthbender, I want to be your friend. But he's like, ah, shit, and runs away. Um, so they, they end up wandering into the village for food, where they run into said mm. Earthbender again. And they're like, hey, Earthbending guy. And he's like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> um, and he and his mom um. are like, yo, Earthbending's illegal. And his mom's like, why were you Earthbending? And he's like... Because it's who I Fun. am. And the mom's like... Well, the, then the first actual funny joke of the entire series happens. Yeah. Um, where the Fire Nation bursts in and everyone's like, act natural. And it just <laughs> freezes on this tableau of them acting as unnatural as possible. And you think it's just like a freeze frame. But then but Aang then... moves and you realize they're just literally standing, standing completely still. It is great. I wouldn't say that's the first one because I really liked Rocky, uh, the Rocky joke from. Uh, I like that's Omashu. a that's a joke, but it's not really like a funny joke. It's like a it's like a groan. Like, okay, oh. all right. This well, is legitimately like a visual joke that yes, just works it's, and that it's I good. laughed really hard at. Um. So then these thuggish Fire Nation dudes show up and they extort some money from the mom. Uh. And he's Just, like, you can keep the pennies. Yeah, basically. Um, and they're like, yeah, the Fire Nation has really oppressed us and takes all our money. And, like, now these are some fucking thugs, you know? Like, the triads have nothing on, like, these dudes. Like, we see well, the actual okay, effect. yeah, it is literally an occupying imperialist army. It's a little bit different than sure. gangs. Sure. But, like, I, I think where Korra missteps is that it, like, sort of, like, you know, it shows kind of, like, a frightened old man, but it doesn't actually talk about, like, yeah, so it's sometimes it's really hard to afford to eat. You know, like, the triads aren't there as, like, anything that the show is actually interested in interrogating. They're just there to be, like, bad guy is well, that Well, they're there Amon to can, inspire like... the Amon people yeah they're there to yeah. inspire the equalist to action which right. you know has its own problematic turn but like yeah no they aren't the threat of the season which yeah. maybe they could have been and that might have been an interesting show but that wasn't the show that they wanted to do yeah that's true um so basically haru earthbending is forbidden and if they find out you're an earthbender they take you and they put you in like a like internment camp basically um yep. On a boat. On a there's no earth to boat. bend. There's no earth. So, Katara has, like, a... They're, they're allowed to stay the night at Haru and his mom's place. And uh, Katara has a little talk with him. And they talk about they losing their parents. About their, yeah. Yeah. And they, you know, they... 
Haru is like Katara the... talks about her her necklace, yeah. which is like her totem of her dead mom. Yeah. And she just carries it around with her for the rest of the series and keeps talking about it and touching her neck. Yeah. Um, um, but it's really important it's not that you remember in this episode that Katara wears a necklace. <laughs> um, yep. So, she's doing that. Then uh, Haru and her take a wander and an old man has fallen in the mouth of a mine and is being crushed uh, by rocks. Yeah. yeah. So Katara's like, you can save him with your earthbending. And he's like, no, if I do that, I'll get arrested. And she's like, no one's around. It's fine. Save him. So he does it. Uh, and they help the old man. And then and later. Then he snitches. He's oh, a snitch. A fucking little snitch. Don't help He's old men, snitch. kids, because they're all snitches. Um, and he turns in Haru as an earthbender, and um, he gets taken away. And then Katara finds out the next morning is really sad and is like, we gotta save him. And then they come up with a great, stupid plan that I love. Well, so first, before the plan, like, oh, yeah, the, the, no, yeah, the, the plan. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, the plan is that. They're like, how are you going to find out where he is? Because no one knows where the secret Earthbender internment camp is. Um, she's like, they're going to bring me to him because I'm going to Earthbend. And Sock and Ang are like, say what? <laughs> um, so they use like a vent and they get Ang to airbend while Katara and Sokka pretend to get in a fight. And it's a great, I love this scene so much. It's, it's really, an amazing scene. It's, it's really awesome. funny. It's super funny. You know, no, Aang misses his cue because he's, like, goofing off. <laughs> and that kind of, you know, reveals more about his character. And then, literally, the guards think that the lemur, Momo, <laughs> is... Uh, Bending. It's it's a good, dumb, it's a good, dumb joke. And it's a good, dumb scene. And I, I very much appreciate it. And yeah. It. And I like that Sokka sort of appeals to Aang. Like, when Katara is like, nope, I'm gonna get myself arrested. <laughs> and he's like, doesn't this seem stupid? And Aang's like, I don't know, it seems like a fun adventure to me. You know, like, yeah, Aang still, is still very much a child. Very carefree. Um, so then, <laughs> then we get to the internment camp where, ironically, George Takei is the warden of the internment camp. Um, does a great performance. Uh, ironically, because his family was in Interned. an internment camp. Yeah. I, yeah, I guess that's irony. It's more just a little disturbing. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, but he puts amazing. in a great performance. Oh yeah, he plays Holy the warden. Shit, does he. It's it's awesome, awesome. Um, All of his his amazing quotes, like when you know somebody like sneezes and he's like, "How dare you dishonor me?" <laughs> Throw him and in then, the brig. And then, like, the guy's like, we saw, like, a flying buffalo, like, a flying bison. And he's like, well, which was it? A buffalo or a bison? <laughs> and they're like, what's, what's, the, what's the point of that? I mean, it's basically the same animal. And he's like, I'll decide what the point is, fool. And then throws him overboard. Get the captain. Uh, sir, you, you just threw the captain overboard. We'll get someone with authority. No, no, no. He says, we'll find someone I haven't thrown overboard oh, and right. take care of it, which is so good. Find someone I haven't thrown. Silly girl. Yeah, so, you know, he's like Look this... Look at their blank faces. <laughs> I've crushed their spirits. 
Um, so so He's that's basically what's going on here is that the Earthbenders have, you know, they they've been. This is their lowest point, you know? They've been stolen from their families. They have no way to bend, no way to fight and protect themselves. And, like, they're just trying to survive. And Katara comes in and is like, Listen, I was raised on the stories of, like, how brave and awesome you guys are. Like, I believe it's not a very in you. Good speech. It's, it's fine. It's pretty corny, but, like, it's, it's fine. So overwritten. Like, Korra, or sorry, uh, Katara is like. <laughs> She's got a live journal somewhere. I just know it. <laughs> I like, mean, yes. She's so overwritten and purple. It's like, a super, super, like, fucking, like, friendship speech. Like, ultimate style. But it's, it's I like, enjoy we, your it. Your strength doesn't come from the rocks. It comes from, from the within. strength that's inside of your strength. <laughs> you can't be strong without uniting together and fighting. And basically, they all ignore and are like, girl, shut the fuck up. Um, which is fair. Which is super in fair. in a prison. You can't just prison riot your way off of a boat. Yeah. When you're surrounded by fire bending cards. Um, so, you know, Sokka and Aang come back at the allotted time. They're like, all right, is Haru coming? And she's like, no. And they're like, all right, guess we got to leave. And then, you know, big character defining moment. Katara goes... I won't abandon these people. And, like, that is very true of her, basically, throughout the rest of the series. Um, yeah, and I think, you know, we've basically now established, like, the dynamic. You you typically expect in, like, a story that there's, like, a leader, a, like, a sidekick, and then, like, a comic relief or something. That's sort of what Korra has. Mm-hmm. You know, Korra being the leader and... Mako being the sidekick and Bolin being the comic relief. Mm-hmm. But in this one, it's They're not all really the leader. like that at all. Yeah. Well, none of them are the leader. Katara yeah. is an idealist. Sokka is a rationalist. And Aang is, uh, you know... Has a destiny. Of, uh, yeah. He's the he's sort of the balance between the two. Yeah. And in that kind of golden trio sort of way, I think it really does work. Totally. Um, to, to sort of... Make it so you don't need a leader all the time. Different people yeah. can come up with different plans. People can disagree about what they want to do and say, we're going with Sokka on this one, or we're going mm-hmm. with Aang on this one. Or and, we're going on Katara in this one. Yeah. It's just, it's really astounding that you don't really need a leader. Yeah. And, and I think that's really unique to this this totally. season even. Sure. Yeah. I, I think I would kind of agree there. Because um, they're all, it is really, they're all kind of on the same foot, you know? Like, they're all level yeah. one D&D characters who are slowly, yeah, exactly. like, and, traveling and eventually together. eventually will become more of a leader for the group, you know, sort of a moral center of the group who, mm-hmm. who knows what's right and knows what needs to be done, uh, who relies on, you know, the but others for their But that takes a long time. It really does. And so for now, everyone's on equal playing field. They're all just idiots running around, breaking into prisons, and then trying to break out with crazy right. plans. But but I, I do like the fact that this episode isn't about Katara trying to sneak in there and, like, solve everything by herself. It's like she's there to, like, inspire the people to kind of help themselves, right. you know? And I um, like that she fails twice, and that's great yeah, to me. She totally um, does. 
the first time that she fails, it's like, well, I understand why she failed. I mean, it's only the first act of the episode. But then in the third <laughs> act, when she gets them all the coal, because Aang does the same airbending trick as in the first part of the episode, and he blows a bunch of coal out of the smokestack, so now mm-hmm. the earthbenders have something to bend. But but we also get to see Sokka come up with this plan, which I think is one of the first times we really see Sokka like have a strategy that kind of works, you know? Well, Aang was um, the one who recognized that there was coal in the in the ships. Uh, well, that's true. But but Sokka came up with both the like get Katara arrested plan and the get the coal to the deck plan. Um, I thought I thought Katara came up with the get Katara nope. arrested plan. No, she. I mean, she was like, "Get me arrested," and Sokka was like, "Okay, I figured out how." No, no, she was like, Sokka says, "This is actually a pretty smart plan, Katara." You're right. And then he, like, explains her plan for the audience and is like, there's a bunch of air vents, so all Aang has to do is blow this. It doesn't say that he came up with the plan. I didn't think he said it. it. I I didn't remember that part. I thought he came up with it. But yeah, either way. I mean, it's not super clear exactly how the planning stages of of each of these things went. Right, but... but We're explaining the plan for the audience. Yes, we're hearing Sokka explain plans, which, like, will become a thing. That's his role. Yeah. Um, so they get the coal to the deck. Katara's like, now's your chance. There's Earth. Let's fight back. And yet again, nobody rises to the call to action. But one young child. <laughs> nope. Uh, or but one yeah, young no, child? Yeah, no, except for one young child. Haru throws rocks at the guy's, back of the guy's head. Yeah, and we think it's Katara at first, but then it's Haru, who can't yeah. stand someone insulting her. Yeah, I mean, that's the the power of Katara is like, you know, maybe she doesn't inspire everyone immediately, but she inspires one person to stand up. And then that inspires his father to stand up and defend him from a fire blast. And then everyone's up. And then we're all kicking ass and taking names and they just need to believe in themselves, didn't they? Mm Mm-hmm. Um. And then there is a pretty heavily implied death uh, murder of a character on screen. Um, Yeah. Where he's like, I can't swim. And the guy's like, don't worry. I heard cowards cowards float. float, Which is a sick fucking burn to say before you kill someone. Yeah, it's pretty fun. It's pretty great. Also, dead people do float, so that's, uh, it's true. It's great. Um, so then they all escape and they steal some of the ships. And they, uh, they go about their business. Uh, except Katara lost her necklace, so no. And uh, who should have found it but um, a certain Fire Nation prince? Hmm. Hmm. To be continued. <laughs> and then, and then it's then it's it's the the halfway point of the season, the big yeah. two parter that yeah. pushes us into the main plot of the series. Because now we've introduced everyone, we've established their roles. We know what we're fucking doing, all right? Yeah. We, we got this shit. <laughs> this is... Winter Solstice Part 1, um, The Spirit World, is pretty interesting because it's the first time we get a B-plot in a long time. Because um, the past three episodes have all just been basically one-offs with, like, that focus on Aang and the gang. Uh, yeah, that's true. I mean... Warriors of Kyoshi had a uh, had a B plot. That's but it was, true. Uh, a Sokka B plot. Yeah. Um. But but still, we're we're back to a B plot, where the the main plot is sort of 
um, Aang and his friends come across a burnt forest and Aang gets really emotional about it, which to me now watching is very strange because Aang seems more upset about the Fire Nation fucking up this forest than he did about them literally imprisoning other people. Um, I don't know if it was that he wasn't upset, but just that like he was never there in the scenes where you found out that people were imprisoned. You know, but he, like, he didn't like he didn't like get to see it and see just the misery of it all. I mean, he did kind of at the end when he blew the shit out of the vents. Yeah, it, it was a guitar episode. You just have to. <laughs> anyway, um, so this is more of an Ang episode. Um, yeah. So while they're being sad about the forest, an old dude comes and is like, "You're the Avatar. I need your help." And so they go with him. Um, meanwhile, Naked Uncle Iroh's having a little bath using yeah, firebending. come soak your troubles away. <laughs> and Zuko's like, my troubles cannot be soaked away. Uncle? Uh, <laughs> they can only be quenched by the warm embrace of the Avatar. I mean... I just, I just love, Zuko will just say things and he doesn't realize that they're really corny. And they're that's so like, corny and it's the best. That's the he's, joy of his character. It's just a, that he will say things that are completely ridiculous and he'll, he'll say them totally straight. I mean, that's the thing. He, both he and Katara are very earnest characters, but in like opposite ways, you know? Like Katara's yeah. very earnest about others and he's very earnest about himself. I have to protect my honor. My honor. I love all those compilations. Um, I also like that, um, you know, Zuko spends the whole episode, or the first part of the episode being like, I don't care about you, old man. I'll leave without you. And then he spends the whole rest of the episode being like, I really do care about Uncle Iroh. Yeah. First of all, he doesn't leave without him after a half hour. He waits for hours yeah. uh, for him to come back. And then when he doesn't, he doesn't even leave. He just goes back and is like, where'd he go? Yeah. Um, so Iroh ends up getting captured by earthbenders. Um, and meanwhile, in the village, they find out that a spirit has been terrorizing them night after night and taking people. And um, Sokka gets took when it comes this time. and It's a big and, black and white, like, lizard monster with, like, It's really limbs. cool looking. I love yeah. it. It's a great it's, monster it's design. Um, it feels very yeah. bleach in, like, an interesting way, but, like, it's, it's cool. Yeah. I like it. Um, but, but this is also where we're told that, you know, Aang is supposed to be the... Um, bridge between the spirit world and our own world, but there's really no one around to teach him about that. And right, we're, we're starting like to gain an problem. understanding of what it means to be the Avatar, right. um, which is this concept of balance and this concept of you know being a bridge between like nature and humanity, and between humanity and other parts of humanity, uh-huh. and just like being a unifier. And I think that's what's really unique about Avatar and Korra together, you know, amongst other shows, is that the hero has this very specific mission um, of not just of peace, but of, you know, balance and, like, whatever that means. Yeah, totally. Um, Though I don't know if Korra necessarily does anything with that. No, that's what her, her stuff is about, too, but, I mean... 
I, I'm just saying I don't know if, if it succeeds in that message. Yeah, well, I mean, maybe it's a bad show, but, like, the, it still has that element running through it, and I, I sure. do still find it very interesting whenever Korra does. Sure. So, so we get some parallels here where both Sokka and Iroh have been kidnapped, um, and then Aang and Zuko have to go after them to figure out how to fix it. Um so uh, when Sokka gets kidnapped by the evil spirit beast thing, um, Aang tries to follow it, and he gets knocked out. And when he wakes up, he's uh, he's looking a little blue there, and he wanders back to the village. He's sad. He's so sad. Um, no, he's literally blue and translucent because yeah, he's in the spirit world. He's a ghost. This is our first look at the spirit world whatsoever. We know that mm-hmm. there are spirits in it. We know that it in some way mirrors the real world, and we know that you can't bend in it. And that's basically all we know about the spirit world. Right. And and we find out that there's dragons in it. Right, yeah. A dragon spirit, you know. It's yeah. not a physical dragon that exists. It is a dragon spirit that has spiritual abilities that are not had, had by real dragons. Totally. We don't know that. We don't necessarily know the limits of real dragons, but we know <laughs> that this is not a real dragon. Yes. So we bring the real dragon, or not the real dragon, cheese, you got me mixed up. Um, so the dragon brings Aang to a place where there's a statue of Roku, and Aang's like, oh my gosh, you're Roku's spirit dragon. Or, or I guess the dragon like touches his like tentacle thing to his head and is like, Yeah, he's I'm... got a mustache that's magic and makes Aang have visions of stuff. Yeah. And yeah. it seems like you could just be a lot more clear with your visions and just be like, here's a vision of Roku saying the things that <laughs> right. he's trying to say to you. But I guess he can't do that. He can only show you things that he's seen or something. Mm-hmm. So um, Aang overcomes his inability to understand the spirit world. He learns that he's got to get to the uh, fire temple by uh, the solstice, and then he comes back, um, having learned a little bit more about the spirit world, uh, enough for him to... And he he wakes up, and his physical body has been somehow placed on top of a bear statue. Um, And we don't learn how this happened, but, you know... It's symbolic, you know. Yeah. He's he's reached a an understanding by going to the spirit world, and now he knows what that spirit is. It's the bear spirit of bears. <laughs> yep. No, it's the spirit of the forest, and it's, he's upset that the forest has been burned down, so he can't really be reasoned with. He has to be shown that, you know, there's hope that the forest will grow back one day and that humans will be dedicated to bringing back the forest. You know, that's yeah, and he the gives, lesson. He, he, the spirit gets cheered up in the same way that Katara cheered Aang up about the forest, and Aang gives him a little mm-hmm. acorn and is like, look, it'll grow back. Future generations will, will have yeah. this forest. And the spirit goes, okay, there's hope. Hope is good enough yeah. for me. And he lets all the villagers go that he had taken into the spirit realm. Um and then I think Aang it's is interesting like... that they have this, um, you know, this nature versus society sort of story without it being like a heavy theme of like being eco-friendly. Yeah. You know, it's just it doesn't really, feel it's like Captain Planet. It's as humans should be able to coexist with nature and that's it. 
Right. It's it's. I think what you were saying earlier. It's that theme of balance. It's that theme of right. like coexistence, where you know, it's not that these people can't be here but they have to treat nature with respect it's not about worshiping nature it's about respecting nature um which like manages to sidestep the captain planet feel pretty well um so to wrap up the b plot with iroh getting uh captured for this one um we we also see in this episode that iroh can see spirits um because he Mm -hmm. sees ang on the dragon's back fly past him um, when he's traveling with the uh, Earthbenders who captured him. And we also find out a little bit more about Uncle Iroh's backstory um, in this well, episode. We, I mean, like, we, yeah. So, but just the spirit thing, that doesn't come back ever, does it? Yeah, it does. I mean, sort of. Like, Zhao makes references to it. And, like, like it, I don't think it's a huge part of the plot, necessarily. But it's, like... It's definitely something that characters know about. And, like, Iroh is very knowledgeable about the spirit world. Like, in the finale of this season, um, that's kind of relevant. Okay, sure. Um, um, like, it's not a huge thing, but it's it's an interesting thing that I don't think I picked up on before. I um, definitely didn't, because but, I thought yeah. it never came back. But you're, you're right, it, I guess it kind of does, at least for the rest of the season. Yeah. Um, but, but we also, yeah, we find out more about Iroh's backstory. Um, like we knew that he was, um, a general, um, from, from Zhao, right? Uh, yeah. Well, we, yeah, he just mentioned that he was a ge- general Iroh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we knew he was like sort of disgraced. Um, and now we, we, we sort have to of assume more... that he is cause he's hanging out with the banished prince right. uh, on the, on a rickety old boat. When he's yeah. a freaking general. Um, right. So. so, yeah, we find out that he failed to capture the capital city of the Earth Kingdom, Ba Sing Se, and that um, he sieged it for, like, over two years um, and was not able to break through its walls. And so, I thought it like, was two decades. Did I miss it? No, it was not two decades. <laughs> That would have been literally insane. Twenty years, I I've been at this wall. Can't can't crack it. Zuko would have literally never have met his uncle then, which like we know for a fact is not true. Um, no, he. I thought the idea was that. Well, yeah, I guess. Never mind. Moving on. Yeah. Um. So. <laughs> uh. Zuko is is tracking him. Um, Iroh tries to escape from the Earthbenders, but they capture him again, and they're like, he's too dangerous. We have to cut off his hands now. Even though, like, the way he tries to escape them, like, doesn't even use his hands, like, at all, basically. So Doesn't even really use firebending. Yeah. They're just like, he's too dangerous. Um So Zuko's tracking him because he dropped a stinky sandal and Zuko can, I guess, recognize his uncle's foot stink. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, basically this episode is to establish that Iroh, while he plays sort of a guileless, foolish old man, he actually has a lot of guile. In fact, he's mostly guile. Um, And (laughs) he can, you know, trick people into doing lots of stuff. Um, Yeah. And, and, you know, without revealing his hand, sort of... uh, reveal his location to his nephew. Yeah. 
Maybe don't um, trust him the next time he says something goofy and silly that you're supposed to just take as, like, a joke. Right. Maybe he's got a little bit more to him. Um, yeah. So Zuko is on his trail. There's a moment, though, where Katara is out looking for Aang and Sokka on Appa, um, and he drive, flies by in the distance, but the tracks leading to Uncle Iroh are going in the other direction, and Zuko has to make, like, a choice about whether or not he's going to chase the Avatar or find his uncle. And he chooses his uncle. He chooses his family over his honor, um, or specifically his uncle. Um, Yep. Which is interesting. And Zuko's going to have to make a lot of these kinds of choices in the coming (laughs) episodes and seasons. And sometimes he makes the right one, sometimes he doesn't. We'll get there. Yeah, um, this ended up being a really good choice because uh, the Avatar was not even on that bison. Yeah, was not there. It's fine. Um, so Zuko goes and frees his uncle. They kick some ass. There's a great line where the Earth Kingdom guy is like, you're clearly outnumbered. And then Iroh goes, yeah, but you're clearly outmatched. And then proceeds to it's kick It's not a great him. line. It's, I it's love a really it. cliche line. It's, it's goofy, but I love it. Like, I'll fight anyone. Like... I'm gonna. That's saying I'm gonna kick your ass, and I'm like, it's, I'm here to kick ass and eat cornflakes. I'm, I'm not saying that it, it's mean that, that the meaning is confusing. I'm saying it's just I've heard that line a million times. It's yeah, like, I guess that's the response to you're outnumbered. You're outnumbered. Well, you're out of luck. Well, you're outmatched. <laughs> I mean, that's fine. I like it. Put this in everything. I'm a fan. Um, Whatever. So yeah, they they kick ass, take names, and they go and, home. And Iroh does not use his firebending at all. He beats nope. their asses just with the chains around his his yeah. wrists. He's also wearing a loincloth for this like entire thing. He's basically uh, Slave Leia. Yeah, this is Iroh's Slave Leia moment. It's amazing. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So everyone is returned. Balance is restored. And Aang goes, hey, guess what, guys? We gotta go to the Fire Nation now. Also, thanks for the supplies for saving you. <laughs> yeah, so then they go. That's the next yeah. episode. So then they go. And they gotta get through a blockade that's being run by General Zhao, and there's some fireball action shit. Um, yeah, and this, I think, you know, like, this is just a much bigger and better action set piece than Korra is even capable of having. I think it's, like, a better action set piece than, like, Korra has in, like, its entire four-season run. Why would you say that? Because it's just, there's tension, the characters all have, like, are all well-defined on each side, and they all have different motivations. So you can, like, cut to Zhao going, like, let Zuko through, we'll follow him, because we couldn't capture the Avatar on our own. And then, you know, Zuko's like, we gotta ram this blockade because we gotta get to the Avatar. And then, you know, Iroh's like, you can't go in there because you're gonna get you're gonna get captured. You're supposed to be banished. You can't go into Fire Nation territory. And then Aang's like, you know, we gotta get there by the end of the day. <laughs> ah! And then there's like all these fireballs flying around and it's crazy and he's blasting them and dodging them. Yep. It's, it's nuts. It is nuts. It's great. And they, they make it through. Um... And Zuko I mean, shit. It's just a really good through. action set piece, and like you compare that to what Korra had, and it's like there's a blimp, and they blew up a building, and they captured a guy, and then there's a punch fight on a roof. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, that's fair. That's I fair. I feel like, you know, most of Korra's conflicts are, you know, like hand to hand. You know, there isn't a lot of like chasing or or that much creative use of bending, like yeah. at, at least so far in Korra. I, I don't know. It's it's like pretty but boring. That's that's it's, kind of yeah, well, it's just my that, like, you there's just some things you can't do when you're setting the thing in a city and your character is basically being like a vigilante Batman fighting, right? You know, a criminal organization, right? As opposed to three rebel soldiers on the run in a big war that mm-hmm. covers the entire planet, and like mm-hmm. Jesus, it's huge. Yeah, so and they're flying around on a bison. Zuko tries to um, distract Zhao so that he can't follow them. Um, by letting his ship, which had gotten hit by some fireballs um, and was smoking a lot, go in one direction, and then he took a tiny little ship um, to follow the Avatar. And the Avatar makes it to the Fire Temple on... (laughs) Is it just Fire Temple Island? (laughs) Like, does it have a name? I don't know. It's Fire Temple. Yeah, it's the Fire Temple. And they, they meet the Fire Sages who are supposed to be loyal to the Avatar, but are actually loyal to the Fire Lord. Except for this one guy who takes them through a secret fire tunnel um, so that they can get to the, like, Roku's secret chamber or wherever that right. Aang has yeah, to meet Now him. we continue the theme, which was sort of, you know, kind of slightly set up that, like, you know, not everyone in the Fire Nation is 100% on board with this Fire Lord stuff, mm-hmm. which, you know, that's pretty straightforward for a kid's show that's been seen elsewhere, but this show is going to go much further with it than most shows would. Right. And this is, like, like, the first real, like, solid example of a Fire Nation dude who's just pretty chill all around. Yeah. Um, so, they do that, <laughs> and then, uh... Fake firebending scene that comes next. Yeah, so this is, we get another Sokka plan. Um, It fails, but we get a Sokka plan where... And then Katara turns it into a successful plan, which is what I like. You know, it's that kind of dynamic where anybody can come up with plans, anyone can have ideas, and the ideas are very central to who the characters are and, like, how they think about things. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so they try to, they try to firebend their way into this door. You need the firepower of five full-blown firebenders, and they only have one. So... Right. I mean, you know, like, I mean, think about it. Like, Sokka is, like, a rationalist. So when yeah. he fails, he just, he's just is thinking about, like, well, wait, why didn't that work? You know, what is the rational explanation for, you know, why didn't the fire move the things? How does the mechanism work? And Katara is like... Well, it doesn't really have to work as long as we get somebody else to think it worked. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that's sort of her character is sort of making the best out of a bad situation. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And then Aang's over there just like, Do-do-do. hey, I'm over here too. Help, I have problems, I guess. Ah, this is new. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so they, they get in, or, well... They make it look like they tried. They successfully entered the uh, what you call it, the sanctum, I guess. Um, and uh, Avatar Roku's bedroom. <laughs> sure, <laughs> his little his little shrine. Um, his chateau. Yeah. 
so they make it look like they got in there and um, the traitor, the fire sage who's on their side gets the other guys and gets them to open the doors, but there's no one in there. It's just Momo. And then Aang is supposed to rush in because the door is open now. But Zuko, Zuko got him. And then the fire sages Zuko get... gets him, and then Zhao gets Zuko, and then Zuko gets out <laughs> well, of the heck out of Dodge, and well, uh, be- Aang before gets that, in the, before gets that, Aang gets, gets in the temple before Zhao even gets there. Um, oh, yeah. But yeah, so so Aang manages to get in just as the doors close, and then. Avatar Roku seals the doors so no one else can enter. And that's when Zhao shows up and is like, gotcha, Zuko, and the traitorous fire sage, and these two other prisoners, and the Avatar might be in there now, but he's got to come out sometime. Um, so that's this all is, This is Zhao's checkmate. He's really got him this time, except mm-hmm. he doesn't because he's a failure. He doesn't. So He's a loser. <laughs> It's exposition um, time. Yeah, we get some exposition on how Fire Lord Sozin started this whole conquering business and what Aang has to do, um, because it turns out there's this comet that's coming back that was here a hundred years ago, and that's what we, we allowed him... We get a nice him... ticking clock. We yeah. get a nice ticking clock. At the end of the summer, Sozin's comet shows up, and... That gives the Fire Nation the power to conquer the rest of the world that they haven't conquered so far. Yep. Just gotta make them. So before then, you gotta stop them. Yep. Um, And you gotta master all the elements. And Aang's like, "Holy crap! It takes years. Uh, Can I really do that?" And Roku's all like, "Yeah, it's gonna be hard, but I believe in you because you've done it before." Lifetime yeah, this after is like lifetime. the first, um, the first like mentor that Aang has, and like the strongest mentor that he has for most of the series. I would say, like, yeah, kind of. I mean, like, as far Monkey as like, Atso who is the, the, the Obi Wan fi- the figure, you know, sure. like he's the Obi Wan. Yeah, yeah. Roku is his Aang's Luke spirit guide. Literally, he's the Dumbledore to Ang's Harry Potter. To yes, keep with what we've the metaphor we have. <laughs> using. Yeah, um, and and it's nice because like Ang's sort of freaking out, but um, like Sozin's like you've got this. Um, so to to help Ang out of the bind because there's firebenders waiting to capture him, he opens the doors but basically possesses Ang's body. And does some like sick ass firebending shit and like starts destroying yeah, the temple. It's just an extension, really, of the solstice mixed with the Avatar state, to which you know, Roku can basically just cross over. Mm-hmm. And then they get the heck out of Dodge. They get unfortunately the, the good. The good fire sage gets captured, and I guess yeah. he goes to prison and probably rots and dies in there. <laughs> but so do the other four fire sages, because Zhao is like, if one of you's a traitor, you're all traitors. I mean, that doesn't make me feel much better. Like, a bunch of old people rotting in prison, like, just for following orders. Like, that's not great either. So we got our mission. We're moving on. We, we're entering the second half of the season now with new purpose. It's it's very well structured because, you know, we've just been introduced to all the characters, and now we've hit our first major, you know, switcheroo that pushes us into the next act. Right? Mm-hmm. Yep. It's well-structured, whereas in the other one, 
you know, the thing that pushes us into the next part is, well, another jerk got his bending taken away. It's exactly the same as in the beginning. We still haven't reached any kind of midpoint uh, right. or anything. Right. Now you can't play sports anymore, I guess, but kind of who cares? It's but the, sports. The, the sports season was already going to be over anyway. It was the finale. <laughs> right, exactly. Or the championship or whatever. Right. So there's just... Yeah, it's just not as strong no. of, a, of a beat, uh, of a story beat. You not know, at nothing all. really dynamically changes as a result of Amon's actions. It's just a big, scary fight scene. Mm-hmm. Whereas this completely changes the trajectory. I mean, sure, like, Aang was al- already going to learn waterbending, but this changes his, like, goals and trajectory in a huge way. And oh, yeah. And sort of cements what the rest of the show is going to be like. Totally. Like this is, this is what the show is now from not just the rest of this season, but literally the rest of the series, <laughs> you know? Right. I mean, it, there's a little bit of fluctuation in there as to like, whether they're more concerned with stopping the fire Lord or mastering the four elements or whether they're but more it, concerned with it, fighting the armies or whatever, but still <laughs> sure. it's, it's all pretty good. It's all about ultimately stopping the fire Lord and usually through mastering all four elements and that sort of right. thing. And it has to be before Sozin's comic. Comes. Before Sozin's comic. So there's now a time, like a, a clock for the entire series, which is kind of yep. wild, which is great. No, it's just really well set up. Yeah. And I guess this is the winter solstice, right? Yeah. So it's apparently winter. Is this just a really like hot planet? I think they're in, like, a temperate zone, is my guess. Like, they're still kind of south, you know? Sure. They spend most of their time in a temperate zone then. And, like, well, that's... I guess even, like, the arboreal areas. Like, you just never see it snow outside of the poles. Yeah, I guess that's true. Maybe it's just a warm planet. There's a lot of volcanoes. It, there are a lot of volcanoes. All right, well, we've uh, we've established what Avatar is. Now we move into... Uh, you know, the next part of our journey. And we'll accompany you on that journey next time. Talk to you later. Bye, guys.